Hey, elementary kids, you guys are dismissed this morning. A lot of you guys know that uh, I coach distance runners, um, cross country and track. And um, so I think a lot about motivation uh, all the time. What motivates people to go out and know that pain is coming and willingly do that over and over again? How, how in tune or in touch are they with what motivates them to go out there week after week throughout a season, knowing that at some point during that race, like it's going to get really, really painful. Can I get an amen from my runners? Anyone? Yes. Thank you. Beautiful. All two of you. No, there's lots of people here. Some people think distance runners are just idiots. Yeah, there you go. They might have a point, right? But as we get deeper into this passage in John 15, I started thinking a little bit more about this idea um, of motivation around Jesus' call for us to remain in him. What motivates us to do that? Of all the things that we could be doing with our time and our thoughts and our energies in life, um, why would we choose to dedicate ourselves to endeavor in remaining of fostering and living into our connection with Christ. I came across these thoughts in an article on motivation. This quote says, motivation is the process that initiates, guides, and maintains goal-oriented behaviors. It is what causes you to act, whether it is getting a glass of water to reduce thirst or reading a book to gain knowledge. Motivation involves the biological, emotional, social, and cognitive forces that activate behavior. In everyday usage, the term motivation is frequently used to describe why a person does something. It is the driving force behind our human actions. So just like with anything that we do in life, our spiritual life, we need to ask that question too. What's our why? What's driving us? Jesus speaks to motivation in our verses today. So we're going to look at at John 15 again, if you guys can open your Bibles up to 1537. Page 1537, we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 today. So John 15, 9 says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you, uh, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay? So the first eight verses of this chapter, Jesus has been talking to his disciples about roles and identity. He's been saying that, uh, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the vine, you guys are the branches, the father is the gardener. And then he's been kind of talking about what each one of those roles does. What is their activity? Okay, one's job is to prune, the other one is to be kind of the source of life, and we are to be the people that kind of hold or produce the fruit. Okay, so each of us has 
this role. And the glue that holds it all together and causes it to flourish is the connection that's there between each one of these characters in this great drama, this call to remain, to cling to, okay? What will naturally happen as we remain is that we will produce spiritual fruit, okay? It's going to come about in the Christian's life, and that's a promise. It's what God's can do. It's what he will do for those that keep their eyes fixed on him. Now, the next couple of verses as we got into today, Jesus begins to talk about the motivation. Why do we remain? He says that we remain as the Father has loved me. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. So we have to ask the question, well, how did the Father love Jesus? How did the Father love him? Okay, one of the best examples of that um, is found in Matthew chapter 3. So I want you to hold your Bible there because we're going to come back to that. Flip over to Matthew 3, over to the left, page 1376. Matthew 3. We're going to take a the look at the scene where Jesus is being baptized. Okay? So he goes down. And he's being baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And in verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So how did God specifically love his son there? In that scene, how did God specifically love his son? Yeah, Nick. Okay. Okay, yeah, so he declared that this is my son, right? Good, what else? Okay, so he publicly, publicly praised him, right? Verbal affirmation, All right? This is my son, I am well pleased with him. Okay, good. That's a couple things there uh, that he did specifically. He took pleasure in his child, praised him publicly, verbal affirmation. And honestly, there's, there's a lot of us that maybe aren't used to having received that from your parents. If you did, that's awesome. <laughs> the father says he loves him and he's well pleased with him based on what? This is, this is the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, okay? He hasn't even gone out yet and gave any big sermons, drawn big crowds. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't done any miracles, at least that we know of, that have been recorded at this point in his story. This is the beginning. God's love and affirmation of Jesus wasn't in connection to something that Jesus had done. It wasn't about his performance. It was about his status, his position. God was saying, that's my boy coming up out of the water, and I love him 
and I'm proud of him. And many of us also aren't used to being loved apart from what we do. We feel more loved when we produce. And so that's a new thought, a concept for us. And here's the thing about God's love for his son. It's been that way forever, right? His love for Jesus is eternal. And God's very nature is relational, okay? I love this quote by a a pastor named Tom Brown. He said, God's love for Christ did not have a beginning point. That love exists in the very nature of God. To be God the Father is to love the Son. To be the Son is to be loved. This shows us what kind of love we are loved with. It is an eternal, unconditional love rising out of the inherent nature of Christ. So what this means is is that every person who was born, ever has been, ever will be, has inherent worth and is loved by a relational God. I mean, that is really amazing when you kind of stop and really ponder that truth. We see it in the way God pursued us in the garden when we disobeyed him. We obviously see it in the way that he self-sacrificially gave his life for all of us on the cross. We see it in the way that he restored relationship with Peter after the resurrection, after Peter had kind of failed him in his last earthly moments. He restored him and not only restored him, but he, he used Peter to kind of be his mouthpiece to begin preaching the gospel for the first time to the Jews that had rejected Jesus just moments and days and months before. We see it in the way that he redeemed Paul this Christian murderer, and turned him into the mouthpiece that was going to take the message to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, people that were worshiping false idols and false gods, and turning many of them to Christ. He's the loving father who's been used for his blessings. Every one of us has stolen the breath, the heartbeat, the life, the beauty he surrounds us with, And we've used it for our own agenda. Yet he loves us despite our selfishness. He's the father who waits at the window for the prodigal to come home. And then runs out and embraces him and restores him to sonship and daughtership. He's the shepherd who, when leaves the 99, found ones on the hill. And he goes after and chases the one lost one who ran away. He's the father who's here this morning in this communal moment, pursuing our hearts and reminding us of his unfailing and unending love for you today. So that eternal and relational love is what God offered his son and then what Jesus offers us. But it's a battle to stay in that posture of receiving. It's a battle to remain as God has things for us every day, right? The days that we choose to come to his word, he has something for us that he wants to share with us. The days and the moments that we choose to pray, he's, he's got something for us he wants to say, he wants to connect with us. The times when we choose to engage in community, he's got encouragement and comfort for us in those times. But all of those things take, take a posture of, of, of time and space to receive Right? We have to create time in our life to engage in those things. They don't just happen. 
And, and while that wooing of God is going on, on the other side, Satan is doing his best as well to keep us busy, to keep us distracted and, and desiring to, to numb and escape. And he's feeding those things. He's feeding our weakness for unhealthy relationships. Anything to pull us away from our connection with God and the chance that we might have to be reminded of and experience the weight of his love for us. Satan ramps up accusation. You're not good enough. He ramps up shame. God will, doesn't love you after all those things that you've done. Or sometimes he ramps up flattery. Look at how great you are. Look at all that you've accomplished. Do you really need God to have success? You've got this. And we're captured by relationships and wealth and comfort that become our idols and distract us from recognizing the abiding connection of God. It's a daily battle. It's a moment-by-moment -moment battle to remember, remind ourselves of the why we need to remain in him. And in verse 10, Jesus shifts back to a conversation about obedience that he started in chapter 14. We spent our whole sermon series that we just did before this on this verse. You guys remember, if you love me, keep my commands. And then just a couple verses later, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then just a couple verses later, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Basically the same message three times in about eight verses. So Jesus is correlating this love and obedience that are, they're intertwined with one another, right? If we love God, we'll obey God. They, they go hand in hand. Conversely, remaining in Jesus while simultaneously walking in disobedience is incongruent. They don't, they don't jive together. But here's the crazy thing. When we claim to love him, but willingly disobey his teaching, he doesn't stop loving us. When we claim to love him, but we willingly disobey his teaching, he doesn't stop loving us. What happens a lot of times in those moments is that we erect this dam <laughs> that blocks the flow of God's love from, from hitting our hearts. Because we feel like we've blown it. We feel like we're not worthy of it. And we wonder why God feels distant in those times when we're the ones putting up the roadblocks. Just like when a teenager is knowingly disobeying their parents. <laughs> when you're in those moments as a teenager, when you know what you're doing is wrong, you don't, you're not really interested in like hugging your parents, <laughs> listening to what they have to say because you're ashamed of what you're doing. It's painful to be loved when you know you don't deserve it or when you feel like you don't at least. And as a brief reminder, just we're talking about just commands and following commands. Here are just a few of the commands that Jesus gives his followers in scripture. I put a list of 10 up here. And I want you just to take a look and to just read those through. And then tell me kind of what they all have in common.
What do they have in common? Yeah. Action. Okay. What else? Yeah. Okay. Yes. What else? Yeah. Okay. They go against our natural instincts or the way that we maybe want to operate. What else? Yeah. 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 They, they all are focused on how we treat other people. Right? They're all relational. Okay. Now, as we look down that list, you know, I'm sure as, as you read it, there was some uh, that you stopped on and you're like, oh, mm. <laughs> I'm not doing that very well right now. All right. Or you might think a specific instance or a specific relationship or a specific interaction where you didn't love like that or obey like that. So do we do them all well? No. <laughs> do I? Absolutely not. But I want to. I want to learn. I want to be surrounded by some people that will rebuke me when I'm not. And I actively pray for change. And I try to repent and confess to other people when I've wronged them. My desire is to obey. And I'm actively taking steps to prove that desire. Keeping God's commands isn't just a wish for me. It's a goal. I'm not just hoping that I'll obey some things. <laughs> I'm putting some plans in action to try to ensure that that's the direction I'm moving. You guys see the difference between those two things, right? Oh, I just hope that I can love my enemy. <laughs> it's very different than like I'm actively praying about loving my enemy. I'm actively thinking of ways that I could serve and care for someone that I disagree with, that I've had some rough run-ins with. Not just next time I hope I'll do better and leave it at that. The second half of verse 10 shows that Jesus remained in God through his obedience. We love because he first loved us. He's the initiator. He's the source. And then we obey because Jesus first obeyed God for us. <laughs> right? Our motivation to obey is because Jesus obeyed and it was for our benefit. Right? He obeyed so that we could have a restored relationship with him, so that we could be free, so that we could be whole, so that we could be healed and forgiven. So how are we hearing this passage today? If you were to think about, you know, Jesus just speaking these words to you, or, or if you think about the moment when Jesus was saying these things to the disciples, and you can even close your eyes if you need to right now, like how are you seeing Jesus speak this? When you think about his face, what's his expression? What's going on with his eyes? His mouth, the lines on his face. What's the tone and the tenor of his voice? 
And I say that because we all have this lens or this filter through which we experience God that affects us. I've shared with you guys before, it's been a long time, but I used to go to this babysitter when I was a kid and, and um, I was made to take a nap every day, right? And I was a non-nap taker. So I would just go in the room. She had like a spare guest bedroom, right? And I would lay down on the bed and uh, I had to stay there for a certain amount of time, whatever it was, but I would just lay there awake the whole time. And right above me on the wall, was a picture of Jesus, all right? So this is like I'm four or five years old, and it was one of those old pictures where it was like the eyes follow you everywhere you go, all right? So I would like roll over to one side of the bed. You know, Jesus is still looking at me. And I mean, at that age, and I didn't go to church, and so, but at that age, I certainly did not have uh, a very great understanding of who Jesus was. And this particular picture of Jesus, like, there really was no facial expression. It was just kind of a, like a Mona Lisa Jesus, like, you know, nothing in the eyes, no like, hey, Bob, how you doing down there? You know, it was just, so I just assumed he's watching me. He's waiting for me to screw up and he's going to get me. Like that was my assumption about God at that age and probably for a long time until some of those things were corrected. But right, we all have this lens or filter through which we hear God's word. Like we have this picture, this image of who God is as we hear it. And it affects us. And the way we understand his heart for us and what he expects of us and what he feels about us. And that's a tough lens to experience God through if it's warped. But thankfully, Jesus gives us a window into kind of his nature here. As we look at his words in verse 11, let's look at that again. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Well, what has he told us? He says, I've told you this. <laughs> well, he's told us a lot of stuff about remaining about being pruned, about producing fruit, about staying connected to him, right? About receiving his love, about obeying commands. And he's saying that I've, I've shared all of this with you so that my joy might be in you, right? So that you'll be joyful too, to the point of completion, like not even just a little bit joyful, but like completely full of joy. So God is inherently relational, loving, pursuing, selfless, and joyful. Joyful. We see it in his creation. There's a couple verses up here. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders where morning dawns, where evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. In the same psalm in verse 13, the meadows are covered with flocks, the valleys are mantled with grain, they shout for joy and sing. And then we see it in the way that he views and relates with us. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, 
but will rejoice over you with singing. And then we see it in the announcement of when he was sending his son to this world. He says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be cause, that will cause great joy for all the people. Joy. In Galatians 5, if you guys have read that, we, you see the list of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Pretty familiar with most of you with that. Look it up if you haven't, okay? But Paul, when he writes this list where he's saying, like, evidence that the Spirit is in your life will manifest itself in these qualities. He starts with the big one. The first of the list is love, right? But then hidden in the two-hole, right behind it is joy, Love, joy. And notice in verse 11, Jesus didn't say, I have told you this so that you would have joy. But so that my joy would be what? In you. Okay? Not so that you would have it, but so that it would be in you. How is that different? Eric, yeah. would you rather me give you a cookie that you hold in your hand yeah. or a cookie that's in you? That's in you, right? That's in you, right. right? Yes. There you go. Eric gets it, right? In us. It's much different than just having some joy for a moment. It embodies us. He says, I'm giving you joy that's going to be in you. In you. Now, another question. Why is that a big deal? For us to be joyful. And secondly, what do joyful people do for us? Let's focus on the first one. Why is it a big deal for us, people who say we're followers of Christ, to be joyful? Yeah. What's that? We love better when we're joyful. Okay? Grumpy people don't love well. True. Okay? Why? Let's go deeper, because that was a good observation. Why do we love better when we're joyful? Okay, uh, because uh, we're, we're expressing to other people that they're not, a, they're not a burden for us. Like, so when we're filled with joy, other people's inadequacies or inconsistencies don't don't burden us as much okay that's good i saw a hand back here somewhere yes sir yeah yeah people can just yeah they can see joy kind of emanating off of you okay what else why is it important for us as followers of Christ to be joyful? Oh, yes, way back over here. Let me run to you. I feel like I'm on a talk show. Hey, high fives. Oh, come on, Nick. Left me hanging. Here we go. Yes. 
Great. Okay, good. So that kind of bleeds a little bit into the second one, right? When we're around joyful people, it's contagious. Yes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in his circumstances, right? Because he was poor and he, you know, yeah. God stole him from the cross. Mm-hmm. So his joy was in the Father. Mm. And I think he wants to add to that, that our joy would be in our relationship with the Father, not in his circumstances. Yes. And I think that's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal, right? Is that we would understand that, that our joy, his, our joy is Christ's joy, and Christ's joy is his relationship with his, his dad, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it stands out, right? It's compelling to other people around us. What do joyful people do for us? When you're around, think of, think of the most joyful pe- person in your life, right? When you're around that person, what does it do for you? Yeah. Inspires? A following? Okay. What else? Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, right. Like if you're nervous about a new situation and you've got like two options, right? One person over here is like, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. And then, you know, grumpy pants over here. Like who are you going to be drawn to, right? You're going to be drawn to the joyful person. You're thinking, I like my odds over here, right? Compared to how hard I might have to work with grumpy guy, right? Yeah, it totally changes our demeanor, our hope for what could be possible, Guys, it's important for us to understand that our Heavenly Father is marked by joy. He's marked by joy. And, and we are his ambassadors, his representatives on this earth. Okay? So we represent and reflect his nature, his joy to the world. We're the reflection of that. Now, I know this is going to shock some of you. But I'm not a naturally joyful person. Okay, I actually wrote, pause for audible gasp. <laughs> okay, when people describe Bob, they usually say something like intense, driven, competitive, right? Joy's like not even on the radar usually, okay? So it can be a struggle for me a little bit. And some of that is just personality. Some of us just have personalities that just aren't as bent towards joy. Um, for some of us, it's just that we've had some life experiences and some pain that just kind of make it hard for us to exude joy. Honestly, some of us have been kind of robbed of what I would call just kind of natural human happiness because we've been caught in the crossfires of the sin of other people and it's affected us and impacted us. And honestly, as we just mentioned a minute ago, as we go about our days, we, prob- we probably notice that there aren't that many just truly joyful people in this world. 
And when you find them, they stand out. Believe me, I go to gas stations and get drinks every day. I come across, you know, all kinds of humanity out there, and there's not many that are that joyful. But here's the good news. As we remain in Christ, the fruits of the Spirit will naturally grow in us. It will happen. We will become more joyful. If you don't think that's who you were before Jesus, it's who you are now. Because Jesus is in you, and he's joyful. So joyfulness is there in abundance. His joy is coursing through our veins. And so sometimes we have to pray, and we have to say, Lord, help me to be mindful of the fact that joy is in me. (laughs) It's there. It's not something I have to go find. It's something that I have to access and tap into. Right? It's like if you've got a tree that, you know, makes syrup. I'm just making analogies up off the top of my head right now. All right? And you'd really like some syrup. I don't have to go searching for syrup. I just have to tap into the tree right here that's got it. It's there. It's not something I have to go on a journey to find. <laughs> Sometimes we have to pray, Lord, help me to experience and reflect joy in the midst of my current circumstances. Nothing has to change. Our circumstances don't have to change except our awareness of God's love for us in the midst of it. And sometimes we need people to remind us of that. We need God to remind us of that. All we have to do is to cling to Christ and remain. That's the only requirement to tap into joy. The one thing that I've learned, one of the things I've learned in my 30-something plus years of following Jesus is this, is that I have to seek the fruits. I have to seek them. If we're aware that joy is an issue, then it's got to be a prayer of ours, okay? Because I think all of our desires is like, I want to reflect Jesus, okay? So I don't have an option of being an impatient, grumpy, unforgiving person and still be a Christian, Like, that's not like one of the possibilities, okay? I am commanded to reflect him. So I've got to take seriously this call to be like him, which means that that needs to be at the forefront of my mind each and every day. So as I wake up and pray, I want to be like you. So the places that I see that I'm not like him, I need to be actively praying that God would change those things in me so that I can be. So that when people see me, they see Jesus, In recent years, I've looked over that list of the fruits of the Spirit, and I've really taken some stock in what do those qualities look like in my life. And while I struggle sometimes with joy, when I look at that list, the ones that like leap off the page at me are kindness and gentleness. Those things do not come naturally for me. And I want to be known for those things. Because that's who Jesus is. And he's in me. So I've been praying regularly that those qualities would come out of me. They're already there. You guys understand that perfect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control are in you currently. Because Jesus is in you. So it's not a matter of you going out and figuring out how you're going to be those ways. 
which we have to figure out is how is my sin hindering the outflow of those things that are already in me? They're there. We just got to get them out of us. So can we all pray to experience and reflect more joy this week? Nehemiah 8.10 says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're doing something hard and you're joyful, doesn't it give you more resiliency to keep pushing? If you're just kind of grumpy and in a bad mood, pretty easy to shut down. When we remain in the vine, connected with the life source freely flowing into our branches, joy will come and the joy will strengthen us. And people will want to know about that joy that often flies in the face of what might still be messy circumstances in our life. And in the midst of messy circumstances, when we're exuding and displaying joy, we'll be able to say, guys, it's Jesus in me. Because Jesus loves me like a son or a daughter. And it's not based on my performance. And I know I don't deserve that. And that gives me joy. His joy is in me so I can be joyful too. And we need to rest on that truth today. And guys, as we um, wrap our minds around the experience of the fact that joy is in us and so that we can be joyful anytime, it's like what I talked about earlier today, this new song comes out of us because it's like, oh man, the depth of joy that I have access to no matter what is going on in my life is beautiful and I, I can still radiate joy even when things in my life aren't going awesome. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm still, I still can't bear fruit in my life, all right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time today. Thank you, um, gosh, just for the gifts that you give us. You don't put a gift in our hand, you put it in our hearts. It becomes part of who we are. It's not something that we have to go out and try to seek and find or, or drum up in our own energy enough desire to, to be more kind. What we have to do is we have to realize that it's already in us and that we, we, we seek, how do, we, how do I get that out of me? How do I let you have your way in me so that, so that you're what people see? Your love, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, your joy. God, I pray that we would be people marked by joy because we, we serve and we celebrate a joyful God. You knew this world was going to be difficult, but you gave us joy to set us apart, to be something different than what the world might offer. We pray that we would be those people so that joy would be our strength this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close?